0: GM lays off thousands of workers. Five plants up for closure. Pump and dump scheme of medical marijuana companies and the trucking rate firm they acquired. The National Academies of Sciences outlines a path forward for a study of Twin 33 trailers. Like a gun to my head, drivers weigh in on ELDs, pay, and parking. And finally, we play 8 or 10 good minutes with VP of Strategic Analytics, Scott Friesen, from Echo Global Logistics. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we discuss all these issues and more on this week's episode of What the Truck. Hey, JP.
1: Wow, what a special uh, opportunity that we have in this uh, holiday season.
0: Yeah. What are we imbibing Oh, on? I think I hear the clinkling of some ice and glass, <laughs> suggesting that we're not doing our normal, uh, you know, hop-infused adult beverage, but something no. a little bit more exciting. And I'll have to tell the backstory. Oh, okay. At Market Waves, at the Uber Freight party. They had this special drink um, called the Uber Freight, which is really just a nice old fashioned. And we had might have had one too many of those with Scott Freese. Eh, One too many. I mean, what's really the right number? Three. Amongst friends. Yeah. So we hung out with Scott, had some drinks, uh, really kind of jammed. And he sent us a nice like uh, holiday like a like Christmas gift. These these bottles of Bitter Milk Number 1, um this sort of handcrafted cocktail mixer. It's basically the stuff you put in whiskey to make an old fashioned. So he we got those in the mail. Thank you, Scott. Um and so we made an old fashioned. Shout out to Scott. We're not above taking gifts uh for some good
1: coverage. coverage. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Scott. No, really thank you. Thank you. And um
0: whew, Bitter Milk indeed. Uh, it's good stuff. It's, yeah. it's it's nice, sweet little syrup that uh, kind of complements the rye, with uh, the bullet rye whiskey that, that we're having. So yeah, because um,
1: we're uh, you know coming live to you from uh, um, where well, we're live right now, yeah. uh, and we're coming to you from Tennessee, which yeah. is still the frontier in some regards.
0: <laughs> and yeah, and don't <laughs> worry, we're not taking it up a notch. We'll we'll be back to our regular scheduled beer programming. Next week, and but. be
1: assured, listeners, we are sipping judiciously.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, let, let's get into it, man.
1: Well, take it away. You've you've got the uh, the headline sheet there.
0: Yeah. So GM. Um, oh yes. Closing down five plants, lays, laying off tons of workers. Good time. It's a huge. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge kind of shift in the industry. You know, Ford earlier this year said it was kind of getting out of the sedan game.
1: Yeah, I thought that was interesting with Ford. Um, Yeah, it's sort of like... Are these two, um, you know, uh, companies taking dif- uh, similar tracks, but not, not not quite doing the exact same thing with the timing? But are they both kind of doing the same thing? And anyway, like, I guess background on Ford before we hit what GM has done. Um, Ford, you know, has, you know, for quite some time, uh, they have been uh, recognizing that sales on sedans, hatchbacks, um, basically, you know, the, the traditional kinds of cars that have sold well for them. Um, just Simply are not selling well, and in a competitive v- business with, I think it, with like it's it's hard. It's not that there's necessarily low margins, but it's uh, that it's it, it's slow to grow at this point with, in the automobile industry. Yeah, that they're saying, look, we're going to like consumers want like the SUVs and the trucks where you have a command seating position and you have extra you know cargo um, and, yeah, and, and yeah. passenger space. And they
0: make they make those are more expensive vehicles they make better margins on light trucks and uh, SUVs. And so...
1: One of the critiques... It's it's almost like an
0: upsell. You know, it's like instead of buying an sedan, people are buying, you know, a crossover SUV.
1: But one of the the, the criticisms I've read from a number of analysts on that particular point is um, they're like, yeah, but how are you going to make up, like three or four hundred thousand in sales you know how are you going to replace those sales it doesn't seem likely and then this gets to the point of how you know mm-hmm. maybe gm and ford are doing similar things downsizing you know how are you really going to replace all of those sedan
0: right sales
1: right, right. just with suvs and trucks for ford you right. know, and, and it doesn't seem likely, and it does seem like quietly. So, are they just like, Ford is sort like of making abd- abdicating
0: some, market share to the Toyotas and Hondas of the world? You know, you, know, you, you know, like know, the, Toyota, I, the Corolla and the Camry that are such best selling sedans. Are they just kind of giving up and saying, like, okay, we're going to let them take over?
1: I don't want to give an unmitigated, you know, yes, but I will just say that from what I've heard and read, it seems so. Mm-hmm. Like, because people, some people are like, well, if you want the rounded car, you better, <clears> be like, whatever, like, go get, get yourself a Honda. Honda. You know, they, they, yeah. they certainly do it, you know, really well or whatever. So yeah, it's they're, interesting. They're
0: and I think there are really three stories behind this, you know, GM. closing down. Yeah, yeah. GM and Ford. So let's
1: give well, we should probably yeah, give yeah. the background.
0: Yeah. Get, so, yeah. So, you know, the, they, they're closing down what? The, the Lordstown, Ohio plant that makes the, um, the Chevy Cruze.
1: Well, five, five plants here in North America. Um, two are in Canada, three in the US, and then also kind of unreported, two others globally. Mm. So seven total. And what they're saying is roughly uh, what amounts to 15% of their total. Workforce. Right. Uh, you know, uh, several thousand of both um, uh, what, what they would call white collar and factory workers. The white collar workers, apparently, since October, have already been getting, you know, severances
0: and right, right. have
1: been kind of anticipating this. But all the news is kind of coming out at once. Right. And um, there has been some, you know, plenty of political blowback as well. Although, um, what's the CEO's name? of GM. Mary Barra. Yeah. And and what, what did she say that was kind of enigmatic?
0: Yeah. She uh, said, you know, she said GM is not, does not foresee an economic downturn on the horizon, but. And they we, want to do this while the economy is strong. But they want to get in front of it while the economy is still strong. So it kind of sounds like, okay, well you do kind of anticipate something. And I think. I see, right. There are really three. Factors I think influencing this, or three sort of even you could think of them as cycles. One of them is okay. is what they're being kind of most upfront about, which is uh, changing consumer demand. That's hard to argue with, you know, um, you know the preference for trucks and SUVs over sedans. The second yes. the second one is the macroeconomic picture. You know, are they trying to tighten things up and get leaner and focus on their high margin products? Before a downturn comes, before, um yes. before consumer demand falls off, and they're they, they're making all these cars that no one's buying, they're trying to get ahead of the cycle. It's interesting. Um, Ibrahim Bayan um, in the webinar he did with Craig the other day was talking mm-hmm. about how um, when the economy really gets going, and especially when you have things like tax cuts that put extra money in people's pockets, you see. It, a, a temporary increase in spending because the people have pent up demand. Sure. So, so I, I might I might be driving a beater and know that I need a new car, but if I don't have consumer confidence, if I don't have money in my pocket, if I don't have cash in the bank, I'm going to hold off on that purchase until I do. When the economic expansion hits, people start doing that. As the economic expansion ages, that pent up demand is dissipated. So. The, one of the ideas is like if we've been in a really long economic expansion now, mm-hmm. everyone has replaced the cars that they were going to replace, and so de- we could see a fall off of demand just from that. And the last, so mm. you know, so consumer consumer preference, macroeconomics, and the final thing I think is really interesting is, you know, are they saying something about the future of car ownership? Are they saying something about, you know, are people going to Family's going to get by on one car and then subscribe to a ride hailing service? Are they going to, what is, how does the rise of autonomous cars, especially when coupled with, you know, ride sharing services like Uber or Lyft? How does that change the economics and demographics of car ownership? Are people going to just be buying fewer cars, period? And so mm. that's more of like a long-term yeah. structural shift in the industry. You know, we really, we, we talk about like cycles, like economics. We're talking about structural things, you know, that are more long-term. But I wonder kind of what the mix of those three factors is is in the thinking of both Ford and Gio.
1: Wow, that's a complex synthesis, man. Um, good stuff. I, you're right, I, I'm really, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm with you on all, all three of those. The first two are like, you know, sort of front of, of mind and and, and, and and direct, but the other one, yeah, I think is kind of buried um, in, uh, I, I, I don't know how much it is specifically a part of the story, but you're right, that is, it's coming down the pipe. Um, you know, and, and and by and the GM thing, I think you could see in a couple of different ways. Like on the one hand, you know, as Sherrod Sherrod Brown, the mm-hmm. senator, said, you know, you can see them really just kind of like taking advantage of the the tax cuts and and the, and just like running away and hiding.
0: And, and yeah, he you said, know, said really it was like, like the, the height of the, corporate greed or something like that.
1: That might have been a little bit you know histrionic, but that's what politicians kind of need to do to get people's attention and rally people know, or something. We we're I mean,
0: talking I'm, about a company that filed bankruptcy. Like you. That I was mean, my
1: second point. It's like like on the chart, other dude. by yeah, by the other end of the you know, continue or spectrum, but you know, by by contrast they, they, and this is what to GM's credit and defense. This is what they say. Um, they've learned some hard lessons, and they're going to be quick to act. And they're also responding. They say that they've lost a billion dollars in in revenue this year. Uh, yeah, and they, they got hit by the tariffs. They say it's a
0: result of the tariffs. Yeah. So they're just Their input costs. You
1: could say they're being agile for a giant company, a right. giant country. Tr- I mean, com- company trying to be uh, agile.
0: Right, and, and it's ultimately kind of. You know, maybe the federal government could take a play- page out of their playbook. Like, you tighten the belt when things are good, so that you have extra resources for when times are bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like uh,
1: it's an interesting story. It, yeah, it really On a huge deal, I think. and yeah. it's
0: it's really complicated. Uh, it's a it's a big industry shift. It obviously affects, right?
1: Because of that, it
0: affects freight. You know, it'll it'll be interesting to see. What, for example, uh, cross border uh, Mexican rail, you know, like I'm thinking of Kansas City Southern, who has like, like 13 or 14% of all their car loadings are bringing me- cars built in Mexico up into the US. I wonder what, what this does for their business. Um, I wonder what it. Yeah, does. I mean,
1: they, yeah, they, they shifted operations this very year of the Chevy Blazer, uh, the GM Chevy Blazer, to Mexico. Which yeah, is another reason.
0: Yeah, and so, so those cars have to be transported um, by someone, right? Um, uh, and so, you know, they're, but they're not
1: cutting that plant.
0: So anyway, no, I mean, no, no, no know, that's I'm what I'm saying. So, like, no. if, if oh. things are leaving the U.S., you know, oh. assuming that Americans buy roughly the same number of vehicles, they have to be brought, being brought in from somewhere. And they'll be yeah. they'll be, brought in by transportation companies. Anyway, um, so that's super interesting. Uh, why don't you take the lead on this next story? You wrote the article, Chad. It was this really weird. You know, it's this the the medical marijuana pump and dump scheme. These penny stocks uh, bought this non-existent lobe float board and tried to really like do this like PR campaign about how it was a huge deal I don't like <laughs> yeah what's going on well
1: d- I mean just like you know basically on um, uh, Tuesday uh um we came across uh, you know what's like kind of an interesting looking story that I forget the exact name of it we'd have to look at the article but it was like you know medical marijuana companies snap mm-hmm. up. Truck, uh, rate, trucking rate, rate firm. firm, and we're like, oh, okay, right? You know, like, well, it ends up being a 154 word article, which is you know scant. It seems press releasey, um, but they had an image of Great Rate Freight, the the um, apparently the trucking rate firm that had been snapped up, and uh, and so I mean, you know, a, a little thought had gone into it, but there was no byline, no specific
0: author had written this. Um which is not a good sign for journalism Yeah like someone needs little- someone needs to like uh, take responsibility for but it. But
1: it wasn't even like the, the it wasn't, it had nothing to do with the medical marijuana thing. It was just like the claims that the article was making, like one like weird little kind of connection point and stat after another, kind of like we were just like, we kept kind of raising our eyebrows yeah. uh, collectively.
0: So at first it was like, yeah. you know, okay, are these medical marijuana companies trying to figure out the logistics of moving? Legal marijuana, right? Like, that was our first uh, assumption. Which actually, it doesn't make sense no. because as soon as you think about it, you're like, okay, wait, is there ever going to be a fifty foot, you know, a fifty three foot truckload of weed? Like no, like like <laughs> of whatever, like the like, company, no, like, right. the, like dispensaries point. and stuff. Even, they even get though, supplied even, with like a couple pounds at a time. Well,
1: even though they were claiming that one of the companies, th- there's so many weird things about the story that it yeah. became fun to um, dive in and absolutely just annihilate. And, and the reason oh, that we... the tangled
0: we, webs we leave when first right. we practice to deceive.
1: Right. Um, you know, and I said something to that effect in the article. Um, and I would encourage our listeners to just check out the article to follow, like, exactly, like, you know, how kind of insidious yeah. and weird the whole thing is. But it did seem to be ultimately, um, I guess, a pump and dump scheme.
0: Yeah, these two penny stocks it penny
1: stocks means like you know basically um a couple of companies that claim to be unrelated which is weird you know like well you're unrelated but together you're going to buy some some trucking rate firm well okay but yeah these two that penny stocks means they're basically a worthless company they're not worth anything but technically they exist but if you are i looked it up um like penny like a penny stock kind of company means that they don't have to do official uh, reporting right and they and so like their numbers are hidden their numbers you know and which means they're probably very um, they're, they're very low yes as you're just basically cutting to the chase relatively worthless yeah and so and, what you and, do in
0: and the, and the, the first couple of things that piqued our interest were, the, right. were that they're really like Inaccurate, dubious claims about the potential of this load board that they bought. Essentially, was what it was. Well,
1: yeah, the the trucking rate firm was yeah. a, supposedly some kind of load board, which yeah, and they, just looked like some dude like slapped up a website.
0: First of all, they like, said that they were going to address like this huge market of 7 million truck drivers in the U.S., which there's nowhere close to 7 million that
1: truck drivers. That was the very first thing that got all of our attention. We're then, like, there aren't 7 million truck drivers.
0: Then they said that they were going to charge 20% per load on their load board, which is completely insane like load boards don't charge percentages per load they charge a, a small flat monthly user fee oh, like yeah. even if you went to an actual human broker and called them and just made them do all the work to find you a truck and book it and take care of it and do all of that they'll they'll charge you 15 percent uh, typically 12 to 15 percent like so there's things that this electronic low board that adds no real value is gonna get twenty percent and they're like saying, Oh yeah, we're gonna get sixty million revenue, thirty million profit. Well the thing like, I think that the overall nuts. Th- like
1: this is like in a sense this was an easy target.
0: Yeah. Because
1: like, the, like there's some there, look. I mean, I am not as by any stretch of the imagination some kind of like in, in, like I don't understand a lot of finance stuff. I am not a sophisticate, right, but like right. you could just tell that this was um, clumsily done by you know probably and I hate to be rude to these guys if they're listening um, but just like just not very they're not very intelligent or savvy or sophisticated about the very kinds of things that they were trying to do it seems like you know they had a lot of um, cajones a lot of huevos uh, <laughs> for you know like uh, like just like okay I'm going to send out press releases on the global news wire about, about me how, acquiring something for, uh, for millions of dollars and about
0: how you know my company is about to explode in value uh I
1: mean, and all these things done. you know to inflate it which maybe they had seen this somebody must have seen somebody do something like uh, th- because there are just so many things wrong with what they were trying to do their math was wrong They're, They they didn't do their due yeah, diligence I think this is it's really easy just, to
0: poke holes it's kind in. of like you know and th- so it was kind of fun they have the stock that that's worth you know half a penny a share if it goes up to two pennies which is still nothing I all of a re- sudden they quadruple their money and they get out and boom it's over that's that's the essence of a pump and dump scheme I, like they uh, gin up some favorable press releases and you know create this this Temporary the two appearance.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Happening. Yeah. They'll, they'll that's create. All, and that's they, all they need. That's what they're gonna do. They would. They would. Uh, they would create <coughs> some temporary value. So people would jump in and buy it, raise the stock valuation. And as soon as it reached a certain peak of performance, then the, the you know those vested parties they would be like, okay, we've reached what we want to do, and we're out. You know, yeah, and, and everybody else, and then it would and collapse. It's kind of weird. Is that Transport
0: Topics picked this up like three weeks after it was on the PR Newswire. It was on so the PR Newswire the, the on the November seventh. The whole thing was probably already over by then
1: yeah right in transport topics i guess we're going to name name names because this is part of why we were disappointed because we respect transport topics but like if you you know an authoritative transportation source uh you know like you know just kind of like you know giving credence and credibility to um a clear Pump and dump scheme. Like it didn't take us. It took us minutes, not hours, to um, figure yeah, like, out. Okay, this is th- this was. Yeah, r- yeah. Um, and and we don't want to. You don't want to give people like that. Um, you know, uh, you don't want to dilute
0: your, your brand and your credibility and, and, and waste too. editorial resources on stuff that's just not.
1: But real. we did spend our time on the editorial resources tracking down the um, the, the 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 parties that be and they were a uh, rush net rushnet I reached out to rushnet and XYZ Hemp and great rate freight, um, great rate freight, uh, boy, what a name! Great. And freight. you know, and guess what? One great. of the one of the things that great rate freight was going to do was um, they're creating an app called the truck stop. And um, yeah, the truck stop. This is one of their clumsy things. Not, like it's like not, either they ran out of ideas or or. Um, they just didn't realize that, you know, there is one of the, the biggest load boards in the industry is called truckstop.com.
0: Or um, they wanted to kind of blur the a, lines. Exactly.
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it was, Any or all of the above. It
0: was very weird. and so um yeah so but fun to fun to kind of uncover in these weird like I, I love the stories of like the investigative stories where it's like there's something that seems to get to be true and of course it is and then you start going down these rabbit holes and it's all connected and there's all these shady people and you're sort of and the, the emails don't work and the websites right, are right. bullshit and like Yeah,
1: yeah, them. yeah. And that was part of my challenge on that day was to uh, I w- I did my due diligence and I reached out to like four or five of the possible PR release contacts that were provided. Um, I got zero responses even to this moment on them, but I did get, I mean, two of the emails that I sent to have bounced back as not existing. So, I mean, um, and, but it is, and the challenge was to dig as deep as you can, knowing that you're not going to get a response. And, I mean, I looked at the privacy policy of Great Rate Freight, and it was really, like, really, like, it too, like their press releases, was poorly written. It was very amateurish. There were typos. There were like incomplete sentences that like, and there was all kinds of language. In the, it seemed like yeah, some yeah, attorney yeah. was in there saying that, you know, third parties could use the information that you input. And, and it was just like, like scammy. It was just scammy all the way around. So, anyway, good times. I mean, not, you know, like, yeah, it's it was sad fun. but we, and
0: we, we actually recorded a video of that with Craig and you and me and Zach Strickland in the office. So, if you want to check out um, the Freight Waves Twitter feed, you can probably see that video where we are kind of... It's before your article actually came out, but it was sort of our initial reactions to this sort of absurd item that we found in one of our... You know esteemed peer publications okay um i think yeah so we, we need to get into this thing about the national academy of sciences study on the twin 33 foot long trailers um so you know as as you guys know right now a lot of ltl carriers like to use twin 28 foot uh, trailers you know, you, you might see you know, FedEx Ground or UPS or XPO hauling these. You know, it's
1: occasionally it's, you'll see these like double trailers, yeah. and you'll be like, well, what, "What? Really? Like, I don't. Why don't I always see those?" And
0: right, and they're smaller. And it's like the whole idea is like, okay, instead, it it it, it helps if you think about it from the power units perspective. It it uh, reduces the number of stops you have to make because instead of stopping to unload, you know a a pallet here a pallet there a pallet there you can drop the trailer at a dc let it go why out. do they have
1: you, you mean, you're talking about like why do they have twins yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you can drop you
0: can drop the trailer out of dc let it go out into like a you know a, a straight truck or something like that um and then be you know pick up another trailer or whatever but, you know go along your merry way Um, And and so, yeah.
1: And and, and the overall, I mean, story is is that um, there there are certain vested um, parties within uh, trucking. This is what, you know, people often, we often refer to the fragmented trucking industry. And um, it's because there are vested parties with vested interests. And um, there are, you know, some that like are going to say, no, that you should not have a trailer any larger than, you know, the, the standard size of 53. Uh, and, and there's all these complicated things about how much weight can go over each axle. And but it's, you know, it's the it's the 53 foot length. You can't go over that. And, and really, and they, they, they'll say safety, safety, safety. But really, there's these vested interests. Yeah, of it comes down to why like, they only
0: want it to be it comes, so big. Yeah, people. People have adapted to the you know large carriers, large LTL carriers have adapted to the current regulatory regime, and they have built their business model around it. Right, control their market share based on these current dimensional regulations and weight regulations. And if it changes, you know they kind of like. Feel like okay, other people can start to undercut us on price. Other people can. We're, we're but others. Others
1: want bigger. Others want bigger. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, and specifically L- the LTL side of things. Um, the, uh, which, uh, well, and one of the things I think w- I reported on a, a story about weight limits. I didn't even know what I was stepping into, you know, earlier in the oh, year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, we got a lot of, um, you know, um, I got a lot of inf- uh, information from what happens in like Australia where um, they don't have such regulations. And they're, you know, like at first it seems like it's really creative. Like you can side load, and you can have enormous and you can like double stack and and you can just do all kinds of things and you can like like basically almost like create a train yeah, with right your truck
0: like three trailers
1: but it does seem like upon further review you know while I was like at first I was like let's why can't we do this let's have freedom let's let them be but you know when you do the studies of the roadways right. as this as it as this article um of our managing editor brian Straits points out that basically they're getting more serious about doing a study they're not going to keep wasting time like they have in the past and they're going to do an authentic study and they're going to take into consideration both sides of the argument and and what you know it's like in one of the these sides of the argument for not increasing weights is infrastructure itself Itself. Mm-hmm. weight limit capacities that the asphalt and the conditions. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah and, that's,
0: that's a, that's a real thing for sure. Yeah. Um, um,
1: and so, and so how many trucks would we really keep off? This is to me, the central question, Um, It's it's safety because of braking distances they talk about. But like how many trucks, how many miles of how many trucks would we really keep off the highways, which would, would it technically reduce that many accidents and all the things that the parties who want the weight limits to be, you know, freed up? How much would it really make a difference? I was
0: less than convinced. I don't really know, like know, yeah, maybe there's a calculation of like, okay, we can do this many more pallets on two thirty threes instead of two twenty eights. But I mean yeah. first of all, are all these trucks always full? Like I know, right? Know I mean? That's
1: like, exactly what I, mean, I was are, are we se- too. are we
0: suddenly gonna get universal adoption of all of these trucks? I mean, a lot a lot of the small people don't, you know, necessarily wanna have to buy a bunch of new equipment.
1: Well, there's that for sure. That's part of it. But like, I'm, I'm almost, I'm like wondering like what you just said about how full are they really already? And like, and so would it really just mean a lot of larger trucks that might not be running at full capacity anyway? Would the stats that the advocates yeah. point out really, would it really mean, like, what with 3 billion less truck miles on the road yeah, per year, right. um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But they're doing a study on it and, and, well, and,
0: and inquiring the, minds and the, want to the know. study, the four-year-old study said that the data was inconclusive for them to create a... Previously. Path, ...a path yes. forward. And um, so
1: that's why everybody's frustrated. You mean you spent four years to say that... No, we don't know. <laughs> I mean, I could have told you that. <laughs> you know, like, pay me uh, to, to make a study that says I don't know. Um, but anyway... Um, <laughs> um, um, Maybe that's what they're doing already. Uh, no, but there's a really cool uh, study. That, I mean, not study so much, but like, you know, <coughs> our uh, one of our um, recent additions to our editorial staff, Linda Baker, um, stationed out in uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, she did a cool, I would, I would call it an ethnographic field research study.
0: Yeah, she, she went to this really famous um, truck stop in Oregon called Jubitz that is like huge it's not part of a chain it's been kind of resistant to uh, yeah, I, I haven't been there myself but from I haven't what, been to Portland from what I understand it's like the truck stop of truck stops like it's there's multiple restaurants there's a movie theater Whoa. There's, it's like a huge really cool place um, and she was there to kind of write about a profile of the, the guy who runs that place and owns it but the, a second story kind of emerged as she met truck drivers there and just interviewed them and took pictures. And it's so, a cool
1: article. Um,
0: yeah, with, so if you want to check it out at Freightways.com, it's called Like a Gun to My Head, Drivers Weigh In on ELDs, Pay, and Parking. Okay. on November 27th.
1: Which is a, um, a fun headline, um, and it does come from uh, one of the uh, truckers that she interviewed who just said that, you know, he feels like, you know, like, well, generally speaking, I would say that, you know, surprisingly for all of their um, pet peeves and, you know, beefs or challenges, things that they're not super happy about, um, that ELDs don't seem to be, you know, like, you know, a big complaint now.
0: But... A lot of people have gotten used to it. A lot of the really professional drivers beforehand were already, you know, I mean, if you were following your hours of service you know nothing's really changed but
1: but it does feel like it can be at times like a gun to your head and the the reason is because of what's been spotlighted not so much elds but hours of service yes yeah and
0: so it's basically just like the problem with the the e-logs or the elds is, is that if you do have a violation you can't really go back in your paper logs and fix it. It's going to be in the device. It's always going to be there. The next time you get pulled over and the officer checks the e log, he'll see the violation. Like it's so you've got this kind of creeping anxiety as your hours start to run out, and that's what I think the, right. the driver meant when he said it felt like a gun to his head. Like you know, you've got to do this. You've got to get to this point by this time and shut down. Otherwise, boom, it's another violation in this.
1: Eli. Oh, I mean, it's it's a tough job. I mean, any of us who have driven for Thanksgiving weekend or anything, you know, and, that, and a few of the takeaways from the article, from like re- reading from their points of view, is like you know, one driver said it doesn't feel like there's rush hour; it just feels like there's it's rush day. Like yeah. the congestion's accumulated. Um, you know, the, like some, what the freedom that some feel is, is. You know, they're they're like some say say that like, well, I don't really, you know. You know, interact with other people real well. So that's kind of why I like to drive. (laughs) But, you know, which isn't surprising. But, you know, and some like the freedom of I can sing to myself. And I can, you know, and I'm. I feel, you know, freeing on my own and independent. I like the places that I see. Uh, yeah, yeah, road. it was really
0: cool. She asked all these some, different talk drivers. About loneliness. She asked all these different drivers about like how much money they make, what their employment situation, the money's is, interesting. What they like about. It. Yeah, we. I mean, we saw some drivers making some pretty good money.
1: I mean, yeah, like okay, so like we saw a couple of stats in this article. One said he made one um, one sixty and one said gross 160 gross 160 right and then he said and and then everything was taken away from that so another said 150 uh and said half of that is basically you know yeah. yeah so you net about half of that which uh still ain't bad until you think about the fact that that guy drove 80,000, that's 80,000 with the TH miles. <laughs> I mean, that's just a lot of miles, man. You know, and like. like and the
0: crazy thing is, it's not even that much for, for an over the road. No, it's actually, driver. he
1: said, I'm winding it down. Yeah, I was like, what the heck? And I mean, so, like, I mean, th- that one. So that guy
0: actually sounded like, you know, it's, kind of, it's Oregon, which is kind of interesting because you don't really associate the Pacific Northwest with high rates. But I mean, to drive eighty thousand miles in net, gross, one hundred fifty. I mean, he's getting some pretty good because you got you got yeah, to factor not in quite like, two dollars a mile, maybe. I mean, but you, you know, got to factor pretty, in like deadhead and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. And right. So like, Alex, yeah. You know. That's, yeah, he that's that he's in. getting some pretty good price freight out up there.
1: Yeah, it's intense, but it's not a bad gig. Why, why is there this so called driver shortage? Well, it's because of the millennials. The millennials don't want to work. <laughs> well, and yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah, they say I that. I mean, for one, you're a millennial, and I don't mean to offend you.
0: <laughs> well, I'm also, I'm also, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a, not a charge out reader, so. Yeah, yeah. I guess no, I'm, I'm part of the in problem. In general, it's a difficult. Um, Job. Yeah, but check out that article. It's really cool just to get like kind of, you see the pictures of the drivers, you kind of hear their situation, why they're in it, what they like about the lifestyle, what they don't. It's kind of a cool just, you know, survey, really.
1: Absolutely good ethnographic field research essay. I mean, not essay, but just an article uh, by Linda Baker. Way to bring it. All right, now it is time without further ado for you. To begin us off with a uh, big deal, little deal, JP. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. What's the deal with you?
0: Let's do this. Um, yeah. So, know so I I'm, I'm going to ask you the yeah, notes 1st first. You're first. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm okay. ready. I'm All
1: ready. Right. It, it, it depends on you. Um, okay. So ready or not, here we come. Fleet Complete Equity, acquired by a pension fund, guides for 10 times growth, big deal or little deal?
0: It's a big deal. Um, I talked to the CEO, uh, Tony, of um, Fleet Complete, and he said he emphasized the um, long-term vision of the pension fund as opposed to a VC firm with limited partners.
1: JB Hunt, Project 44, sign an IT pact, allowing Hunt customers to access all carrier data on one platform, big deal or
0: little deal? I think it's the biggest deal is for Project 44, which is obviously landed a massive enterprise uh, customer account.
1: XBO launches last mile delivery tracking
0: through Google search. Big deal or little deal? Um, I think it's a little deal, although I do think that the last mile bit of it is where visibility is is most needed. Arrive Logistics launches Chattanooga office. Big deal or little deal? It's a big deal. I had a great time uh, hanging out with the Arrive people. Um, They're expanding rapidly and they want to uh, add lots of jobs. Rally is building an on-demand bus ride-sharing market for the U.S. Big deal or little deal?
1: It's uh, you know they're shining. It's a big deal. I mean, they're shining a light on the overbooked mobility as a overlooked mobili- mobility as a service bus sharing space with an attractive business model and innovative marketing.
0: AGL CEO visibility next year's goal adaptability and automation three year outlook big deal or little deal
1: I'm gonna say little deal uh, you know it's like it's uh, you know it's baby steps it's about visibility it's a huge company doing awesome things um, it's a cool article but um, we've been covering this all year.
0: Echo Global CEO: The role of brokers, one size fits all technology, another 2019 questions. Big deal or little deal?
1: Again, huge company doing awesome things, but I'm going to say little deal. I mean, automation is making humans more efficient. Uh, you know, tech works for each different supply chain. That's what they're doing. No shocking predictions here.
0: kids trade deficit widens again as exports fall, imports rise. <laughs>
1: Big deal. From a freight perspective, it means uh, less volume into ports and less surface freight. Uh, yeah, dispersing we, we, goods. We, we, we lost. That's okay, but I'm still going to, like, <laughs> say what I feel like thinking, thinking about this <laughs> big deal. And it's like, but, you know, basically we expect downward pressure on the freight demand into 2019. I guess that's not a shocker. But, um, okay, so um, don't don't shush me right in the middle of my... Well, now, come you're on like, now. you're like, like, big
0: deal. And then I was like, oh, right at the thing. And then you kept going and going. I was like, Whoa. <laughs> I kept going and going. Yeah, that's sorry, funny. sorry, sorry, yeah, I, that's I think funny. I got us off to a bad start with the the first answer I feel like just a little went a little long and yeah it's kind of like no, a re-
1: it's hard to bat lead off sometimes you feel like you gotta kind of warm up I was um, kind of thinking
0: yeah. like but also like a four in a 4x400 four relay 4x100 relay yeah. or whatever in the Olympics the first person they're slow dude that's true That's the, well
1: thanks for pointing that out um, but at the same time you had three big deals out of four I mean at least that's according to you <laughs> and I only had two so you had more to, more to say <laughs> wow. yeah I don't I don't T- know by <laughs> um yes Four come by seconds here it's over so not that bad Oh, not that bad, says not-so-silent Layla. Let's, that's a difference. Um, yes, Layla, thanks for participating and for being our producer here. Layla Rap, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and, and all of these articles, by the way, you know, they're, they're more in-depth than we can possibly uh, try to discuss here um, in these brief episodes. Thanks for tuning in and drive safely out there, America
0: it's time for not five, but eight or 10 good minutes with Scott Friesen from Echo Global Logistics. He's the VP of Strategic Analytics.
1: Hey, so we are coming live to you from Market Waves 18. JP and I are joined by Scott Friesen of Echo Global
0: Logistics. Yeah, Scott, it was great hanging out with you at uh, the party last night um, at the Glass Cactus. That was cool. I feel like we had kind of a mind meld with the uh, world's greatest cover band. Yeah,
2: right. The Emerald City. They band. were strong. They were, They, they, they were brought strong. it. They brought it. They did. What was your high point of the Emerald City band? Yeah. Uh, Undoubtedly, it was when Brian Rudich from Hub sang Neil Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was nice. fantastic. And even I have a, I have photographic evidence. Uh, <laughs> and I've uh, got the shot of him. Like raising his hand in the air with a pointed finger. I mean, it was right out of perfect. What's the name of that movie? Yeah. The not the soul singer, wedding singer? singer, the wedding singer. No, no, no. It's a Neil Diamond Oh. Thing. Anyway, I, was, I'm I'm so- I am was a pretty, fan. It was but pretty I, epic. Um,
1: that that sounds epic. It good. was solid. That's a good one. My low point was when they tried to do the uh, Guns N' Roses "Sweet Child of Mine." Mm-hmm. Yeah. She just was that That was not as convincing. But overall It's hard you know, Axel it's hard to be voice. at an axle rose. It is. Level. Even with three lead singers that can kinda of cover all the octaves, you know, He's such as very, they were doing. They don't
0: have unit yeah. voice. Yeah, she she didn't have that like weird yeah. like like primate scream. Yeah, Remember that, that like
1: scene? scene squeal. Yeah. <laughs> you know? okay. Well he does um,
2: have one of sort of truly the, one of the great Voices in rock. Oh yes, Spartan I totally high. agree. Yes, Perfect.
1: I
0: would give a top ten uh, porcine squeal of all time. Right, it's like trying to, it's, it's like trying to sing like, like trying to do like Mariah Carey karaoke. It's like you're you're like, You just
2: ask for trouble. trouble, right? Kind of just trouble. Well, um,
1: it's great to lasso you in. Um, like, uh, what what uh, what are you um, what are you focused on here at the
2: conference? Any any um, anything of interest striking you? Yeah, I. I really like the technology demos yeah. because I feel like it's important to stay on top of all the development that's going on in the space. And I had conversations with you know our T tea teams and our leadership and just want to make sure that we keep a finger on the pulse of what's getting developed out there, either – Potentially from a competitive standpoint, but also potentially from a collaborative standpoint. Some of the right. technologies that we've seen might be technologies that we want to integrate into some of our offerings. So so you, you do partnerships. Do you guys um, make acquisitions in technology? Uh, in technology, we don't have a lot of history in that. Um, but, uh, you know, we, I, think, I think everything's always on the table.
1: Well, um, well, let's. Are you are you ready to play five good minutes? Yeah. Well, let's, let's and, like, what do
0: we gonna ask you? Uh, like, well, what let, do you do? Um, at or what do you do? Echo.
1: Let's just just play along and just see if, if he can execute with no with no warning. Fly without a net. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Is that I'm all right? Ready? I'm ready at the edge of the trapeze.
0: Laugh like you've never been heard, You know. <laughs> dance, dance like no one's watching. <laughs>
1: You know what? Um, if, you, if you execute it, you've got either a free Michael Lewis book or a backpack. We've got that in it for you. We're raising the bar here. Um, okay, so ready or not, here ready. we come. Uh, Scott, you want to tell us a little bit, brief background about Echo, what you guys are doing, how long you've been a
2: part? Sure. Uh, Echo is a leading technology-based 3PL, uh, managed transportation provider. Uh, we've got uh, clients of all different sizes, Uh, and, uh, we're full multimodal. We move all kinds of freight, all kinds of modes. Uh, we're a public company and, um, have a lot of strength in LTL, full truckload, intermodal, partials, the the whole smash. Um, I've been with the company, uh, in-house about two and a half years. I consulted with the company for about a year and a half before that. So I'm about four years into my freight life as it were. Um, and, uh. And been working with Echo for that time. Okay.
0: Last night we were talking a little bit about the timeline for a true digitization of uh, the supply chain. When are we going to see the kinds of, you know, step changes that financial services went through, you know, starting ten years ago? Um, where, where are, where are your thoughts on that, Scott? And what's what's the low hanging fruit that can be done now versus
2: the stuff that's harder to resolve? I think it's going to take a little while. I think we had talked about about a five-year timeline. I think that's realistic. Um, From the outside, these things look dramatic. They look like huge tectonic shifts. But on the inside of companies, the change is probably more step-by-step, more incremental in nature inside. And I say that because we're engaged with a bunch of different initiatives where we're trying to fix a particular problem or solve a particular need. And I don't get up every day thinking that today we're going to revolutionize the freight industry. We I get up every day and I work with my team and I work with all of the collaborators at Echo and the leadership team to fix problems and solve particular problems. By the time you add all those pieces together, by the time we – Succeed in accomplishing those things. I do think it'll be quite transformative. But on a day-to-day basis, you know, there aren't there aren't sparks flying, uh, you know, <laughs> magically around the office. So, so some of those involve pricing, matching loads to trucks. Some of the technology that we've seen at this conference, you know, are addressing some of the same kinds of problems that we're getting better and better at. Um, I'd
0: be interested to hear like specifically like what's a problem that you
2: worked on this month that something you were trying to figure out um, so we want to make sure that our reps who we think are some of the best in the industry have all the information they need at hand to make the best possible pricing decisions based on the market and there's a lot of available tools but using a combination of, our in-house data and some proprietary algorithms, we think that we're now able to provide some of the best pricing guidance we've ever had before to those internal teams to set uh, rates that are competitive, but fair, and actually executable. Is it because there's more data available to us now than, than ever? I, that's definitely part of it, and ECHO okay. has reached a scale where we certainly have certain advantages uh, in that we have a lot more data than a lot of other smaller companies. Okay. But it also, as was mentioned earlier today, about the use of the data. And so um, I think we've made some great strides in uh, selecting certain data. A lot of this is about what is the right comparison. Right? So if I'm going to look at a given shipment, and I'm trying to divine what the right price for that shipment is. What other shipments should I compare that to is one of the ultimate questions at play there. And I think that we've made some great advances on how we do those comparisons and then any adjustments we take from there.
0: Wow. And uh, I just had one question kind of about the scale. You know, uh, obviously network effects are you know sort of proportional to the square of all of the engaged users, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of economies of scale do very
2: large brokerages have? What do they do differently than you know small brokerages? Because at its essence brokerages are sort of making or, yeah, I, I, think you, I think it's not an exaggeration to say that they're making a market, a very particular market. It's a subset of the overall market, but they're playing matchmaker between buyers and sellers. And so there are mathematically quantifiable scale advantages. Make up a lot. Yes. On both sides, both having more relationships with capacity on the one side, which gives you more flexibility and more shipments on the other side, which also gives you flexibility in both directions. And I think that some of the best brokers out there individually have that sort of uh, beautiful mind, you know, kind of, vision of how all this stuff comes together but but for most people being able to see and sense all of that simultaneously actually isn't possible and that's where technology comes into play to sort of make that thought process and that awareness and that that matching ability what I would refer to as bionic right so sort of beyond what one person could do in their own head because you've got large scale on the one hand of supply and you've got large scale on the other hand of demand
0: okay well so a considerable advantage I liked what you said yesterday uh, was it yesterday on stage where you said that you know what uh, technology allows you to do what algorithms and you know artificially intelligent assistance if you want to call it that allow you to do is really to codify and systematize the best practices that the very smartest people are kind of doing instinctively yeah
2: um, and allow everyone in an organization to operate at that level that was really exciting. Yeah, that's a that's a big part of my whole purpose and mission. I mean, if sometimes when we develop an algorithm or or something, we we're asked how that compares to the performance of the best rep. But we don't only have the very best rep. If we did, we we could probably all retire right away, right? We've got this spectrum of performance and knowledge and skill and and history and experience and so right. the degree to which I or my team can help less experienced reps operate more like experienced reps is a serious advantage to all the players involved. It's an advantage to our profitability and our growth, but it's also an advantage to <coughs> the shippers and to the carriers that we deal with. Interesting. I've, I've seen
0: really interesting charts, I think, in a, uh, a Golden Sachs study of brokerages. It was kind of talking about Landstar's uh, EBIT per employee or, you know, EBIT per agent over time, like the, and the longer, you know, after about 48 months, you know, the, the difference between a new agent and 48 months is enormous. And I think like making that curve steeper, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is there's massive opportunity there. That's exactly right.
1: That's right. Well, and that is um, – and you know what? This has been 10 good minutes. We're going to call this a conversation <laughs> with you, Scott. Massive, <laughs>
0: massive disaster. <laughs> you were, Scott. Not at all. In
1: fact, you get – thank you for the extra great co- uh, content. We'll, well, that's what we'll call it. We'll call it a conversation with Scott Friesen. Um, and, uh, you know, thanks again for being here. Um, and this, this fits right in with one of our main themes and discussing the, you know, the obvious, the digitization, um, uh, that's happening, um, uh, in our industry, uh, as well as just, I do, you know, overall it is revolutionary, even though there may be kind of an adjacent possible in making these things happen one step at a time. But, um, thanks again for, for being here. Yeah. Thanks, thanks dude. Awesome, Glad man. To be
2: here. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Thanks guys. As always, we go into more detail about each of the
1: topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the Truck.